this afternoon we will be considering Baptist Catechism questions 32 and 33 together. They really do go together. Um, and so they, they fit nicely. Question 32 asks, How are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ? Answer, we are made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ by the effectual application of it to us by His Holy Spirit. Question 33 then asks, How does the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? Answer, the Spirit applies to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. And I would like to read now from Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, which does speak of these things. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. Titus 3, 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. This is Paul writing to Pastor Titus saying, this is what you're to remind the congregation of. These are their, their duties or obligations. I continue. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. In other words, this is what we used to be before Christ did a work within us. Now that work is spoken of. I continue. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. This now the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this afternoon. Before I get to questions 32 and 33 of our catechism, I wanted to say a word about the benefit of going through a catechism like this. I, I trust that you see the benefit. I, uh, I do hope that the rest of the congregation sees it too and in fact takes the time to listen to these catechetical sermons. We are moving so slowly through the book of Exodus, aren't we? We've been there a long time. Before that, we were in another book for a long time. And before that, we were in another book of the Bible for a very long time. You could sit in a congregation and be here every single Lord's Day and not hear the whole Bible preached. You, you understand. And, and so it is important for pastors to not only preach in this expositional way, that is to say, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the pages of Holy Scripture, that is very, very important, mind you, to do that. But it is also important for pastors to teach the faith. In fact, they are to, the Scriptures call pastors, to teach the faith, to, to guard the faith that's been entrusted to them, to pass the faith on to the next generation. I want you to think about that little phrase, the faith. When we use the word faith, what do we typically mean except us personally believing in God and in Christ? That's usually how we use the word faith. 
It has to do with personal belief. But there is another way that the word, the phrase, the faith, is used in the scriptures. And it is a reference to the body of, of Christian doctrine that is to be handed down from generation to generation. Do you see the difference? Uh, there is faith, as in personal belief, but there is also the faith, that is to say, the Christian faith, the great doctrines of the faith that are to be received and believed and guarded and passed on from generation to generation. And I say all of that just to uh, further convince you that there is great value in not only preaching this through the scriptures, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, but also for pastors to teach in this systematic way. The catechism, the Baptist catechism that we use, is a summary of the faith, that is to say, the Christian faith. It could not exist apart from the Holy Scriptures, for the faith is contained primarily in the Scriptures, but we can study the Scriptures and see what the faith is. And our catechism is certainly a wonderful summary of that. Now, that is all by way of introduction. Here, uh, we are considering questions 32 and 33. We're in a section that tells us about the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus. We have learned about what Christ has done uh, to earn our salvation. He, as our great prophet, priest, and king, has done everything necessary for us to be reconciled to God. We've learned about these wonderful truths. We've learned about who Christ was, what He has accomplished, and what benefits come to us through Him as our great prophet, priest, and king. But question 32 interjects a very important question. How are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ? He purchased our redemption. When did that happen? It happened almost 2,000 years ago. It, where did it happen? In a distant land. Uh, we ourselves have never come into contact with, with Christ in His humanity. We were not eyewitnesses of His ministry, of His life, His burial, His resurrection, the way that the original uh, apostles and disciples of Christ were. So the question is this. How do we come to benefit from what He did so long ago and in such a distant land? Like, how does... How does His work come to, to benefit us today, living at such a distance, uh, both as it pertains to time and space? It's a wonderful question. And the answer that is given here is brief, uh, but it's very profound. It's very important. Again, I'll read it. We are made partakers. We, we come to benefit from the redemption purchased by Christ by the effectual application of it to us by His Holy Spirit. I want to draw your attention, uh, first of all, uh, to the little phrase, by the effectual application of it to us. There's a wonderful little book out there by a man named John Murray. Uh, it is entitled, Redemption Accomplished and Applied. You've heard of this book. I know some of you have. John Murray Redemption Accomplished and Applied. What do you think that book is about? Well, the first half of that book talks about what Jesus did to earn our salvation. Redemption accomplished. When Jesus died on the cross, right before He breathed His last, He said, it is finished. What is finished? Well, the accomplishment of the work that God gave Him to do is finished. He went into the grave, rose again, and ascended. That was left to be done. But His, his work as our um, mediator, our great high priest, was done when he breathed his last. So our redemption has been accomplished. Is there anything left to be done for the accomplishment of our redemption or salvation? No, it is finished. Is there anything left for Christ to do? 
as it pertains to our forgiveness, our, our salvation, our redemption. And no, it is finished. Is there anything left for you to do as it pertains to your salvation and, and, and your obtaining it? No, it is finished. It has been accomplished. Well, how do we come to be saved in time? We all live 2,000 years after the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. In fact, you were born into this world, and there was a period of time, I don't know how long, where you were not saved. You were born in sin. You were born in Adam. At some point, you came to believe upon Christ and to say that Jesus is Lord. Well, well how, did, how did you come to be saved? How did the, the salvation that Christ earned so long ago come to be yours in time and in this place? Redemption has been accomplished Redemption is also applied uh, to God's people. And so here we are considering not the accomplishment of our redemption. We've been considering that as we have looked at Christ, our great prophet, priest, and king. We're now turning our attention to the application of the redemption already purchased by Christ to the elect of God. I want you to notice also the word effectual. We're talking about the effectual application of the redemption that Christ has earned to us. Notice the word effectual. What does it mean? It, it, it means that, that God is going to get the job done. It, it's, it's effective. And I want you to see here that our salvation in Christ Jesus is, is the work of God from beginning to end. Uh, we must see that He is certainly going to get the job done. He is going to save all He intends to save. If you study the Scriptures carefully, if you read the New Testament carefully especially, you will see that there is this doctrine of election or predestination contained within it. Um, uh, read, if you want to choose one place, I would recommend Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. Read those two chapters and see there the doctrine of election or predestination. You will see that it teaches quite clearly that God in eternity past and before creation chose to save some. He chose them in Christ and in the Beloved. So the Father elected. We know that the Son came to accomplish the work given to Him by the Father. We have been using that terminology. Christ came to do a work. It is finished implies that the work He was given to do was completed. And in fact, uh, the Gospel of John speaks of this work accomplished by the Father. Uh, Christ in His high priestly prayer cries out to the Father and, and says some really interesting things. I've, I've done the work you gave me to do. I've, I've, I've accomplished redemption for those that you've chosen. I, th those are my summary statements of the high priestly prayer of Jesus. The Father elected, the Son accomplished our salvation in past. It, it, is, it is finished, but here we are learning that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, has the job of applying this salvation to God's elect in time. The Father has elected, the Son has accomplished, the Spirit applies. Now, there is some danger in putting things this way. All of God's works are one. Uh, so, truth be told, with all precision, we must see a salvation from beginning to end as the work of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we may also speak in this way. The Father has elected, the Son has been sent to accomplish salvation for the elect, and the Spirit does apply salvation to the elect. God will get the job done. Uh, the elect will be brought to salvation, surely. Not one will be lost. Not one will be left unaccounted for. Not one will, will be left unsaved, you see. Um, 
It has to be this way, by the way. When God the Father determines to do something, is, is He going to get the job done? Yes, He's going to get the job done for sure. Uh, it, it would really be almost blasphemous to claim that God willed to do something, predestinated or elected, and then it does not uh, get done. And in fact, uh, here, here we are even alluding to the doctrine of particular redemption. Who did Christ come to die for? He came to lay His life down for the sheep, for the church, for the bride. He shed His blood for them. And the Spirit applies the salvation that Christ has earned to the elect of God. John 3, 5-6 through 6 says this regarding the work of the Holy Spirit. This is that passage where Nicodemus comes to Jesus and has some questions for him. And Jesus spoke to Nicodemus in this way, saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The point that is here made by Jesus is that if you wish to enter the kingdom of God, if you wish to even see the kingdom of God, to perceive it, you must be born of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must do a work in you to open your eyes, to unstop your ears, to draw you uh, to faith in in Jesus the Christ. Uh, That is the teaching that John brought. And in that passage uh, that, that John brings to us, and in that passage that was read just a moment ago from Titus 3 through 5, the same thing is also said. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, our salvation is not our doing, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. This passage speaks to the crucial role that the Holy Spirit plays in bringing us to salvation. God elected, the Son accomplished the work, but the Spirit applies. He regenerates us. He gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. He calls us to to, to God through Jesus Christ. Now, question 33 of the Catechism goes along with question 32. It it, it asks a further question. How does the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? I think the idea here is, well, how does this work exactly? How does the Spirit do this? And again, the answer is brief, but very important. The Spirit applies to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. How do you you come to be saved? I, I mentioned earlier that you were born into this world a sinner in Adam, alienated from God. At some point, if you were in Christ Jesus now, you came to be saved. Well, how did you come to be saved? You would say, well, it was by trusting in Christ. It was by faith. I came to receive these benefits that Christ has earned by believing upon Him. That was the instrument whereby I came to be saved. I I believed in in Christ. Um, I might ask you, who believed? Was it you who believed or was it God who believed on your behalf? What would you say? It was you who believed, truly and sincerely, right? You heard the gospel. Maybe you had heard it before, but you did not believe it in the past, but but this time you heard the gospel and you believed it. And you said, yes, this is true. I'm a sinner in need of salvation. Yes, this is true. God is gracious. He has sent a Savior, Christ Jesus the Lord. I I believe this to be true. And and so I turn from my sins and I I trust in Him. And then if things were done properly, you you were baptized in water as a public declaration of that faith and you your sins were in that moment washed away you you were saved in that moment the faith was yours that's the point i'm making here you were the one who believed but the thing that is taught to us here by our catechism and, and rightly so 
is that this faith that is ours was worked in us by the Holy Spirit. And that corresponds just perfectly with what is said in Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Right? It's all the gift of God. The, the instrument by which you came to be saved was faith. That's how you received this salvation earned by Christ. But then Paul goes on to clarify, and he, and he says quite clearly, this was not your own doing. It was the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So he wants us to know that this faith that is ours did not arise from within us uh, naturally. It, it was, was not ours inherently uh, it, it was a, a, a gift that was given to us from above. In other words, God gave us this ability to believe. He did this by the working of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit opened our eyes, unstopped our ears. You know, The Holy Spirit breathed new life into us. We were dead, but He made us to be alive so that we might respond to the call of the gospel in a believing way. Ephesians 2, 1-9, I need to read it to you. It's such an important passage. Listen to this. It's so clear. Here Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to Christians. And he says to them, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So this is who you were before being in Christ. You were dead, spiritually speaking. Alive physically, but dead spiritually. And what did you do? You followed the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's quite a description. This is who you were prior to knowing Christ. You were dead. You were living in sin. He even uses this phrase, you were a child of wrath. You were a child under the wrath of God and deserving His judgment. Just like the rest of mankind, Paul says. But God, and those are two very beautiful words, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Do you, you hear it? But God, God made the difference. God showed mercy. God showed grace. He made you alive at some point. That's what we're talking about here when we're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about regeneration. It's God who did it. We don't regenerate ourselves. Just like a child doesn't choose to be born, so too no human being born in sin has ever cho chosen to be born again. It's a work that is done to them from, from above. Again, I'll read it, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, Paul says. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His kindness, His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Here it is. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and the faith is yours, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You believed. You exercised faith. You turned from your sins and to Jesus. All of that is true. But your ability to do that, your ability to do that, was by the grace of God. It was a gift from Him. This is so clearly taught in the pages of Holy Scripture. And what does Paul say next? So that no one may boast... So you think you're really hot stuff, huh, Christian? Um, you think you're really superior to everyone else morally, you know? You think that you're superior to everyone else. 
spiritually speaking. You know, you, you had the sense to choose Christ. You had the sense to love God. Where did that come from? What is, was it out of some purity within your heart? Uh, was it out of the, the result of some hard work you know, that you engaged in? Did, did you make yourself into that? That believer in Jesus or that lover of God? Did you do it? Paul says there is no room for that kind of boasting for any Christian because every good thing they have is by the grace of God alone. It has nothing to do with them. God was just flat out merciful to you. Uh, that's the humility that this doctrine, the doctrine of election, the doctrine of the particular accomplishment of redemption by Jesus Christ, and the doctrine of the effectual application of this redemption to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the kind of humility that comes from understanding this doctrine. Now lastly, our catechism says, and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. When we believed upon Christ, we were united to Him. We were united to Him. We have union with Christ. Uh, we are seated with Him in the heavenly places. His righteousness is given to us. His sin, Our sins are, are, are paid for by Him. We have this union with Christ. We become sons of God through faith in the risen Son of, of God. And there is therefore no condemnation now for those in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. Did you hear that language? You believe in Christ Jesus, but you are united to Him. You are in Him. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is all from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Again, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. There is union with Him. Galatians 3.14, so that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Galatians 3.26, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. And then lastly, Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are one, united together in Him. That's where we find our union, by the way. It is not in our personal relationships with one another um, only. It, it, is, it is in respect to our shared union with Christ Jesus. We were united to Him by faith. And this faith was a gift from God. The Holy Spirit of God regenerated us. And having believed upon Christ, we were then anointed with the Holy Spirit. Um, but that is the order of things. God took the initiative to save us. He predestined us in eternity past. He sent the Son to accomplish our salvation, and then the Holy Spirit of God did take the initiative to apply this salvation earned so long ago to us in time. God is good. He's been gracious to us and kind. Let us give thanks to Him now. Our Father in Heaven, help us to understand this wonderful doctrine of salvation. Help us to understand that it is Your work and not ours in every respect. Yes, we have believed, but even that is a gift from You. Cultivate humility within us, O Lord. Help us to serve you out of gratitude for all that you have done for us. And we do pray that you would strengthen our faith. We say we believe. Help our unbelief, O Lord. Strengthen our faith even more so. God, move us to serve you out of gratitude for all that you have done. To the glory of your name and all of God's people say, Amen.